Welcome to Massive Late Fee. And now your hosts, Mark and Carol. Well, hello everyone. Welcome back to Massive Late Fee. My name is Mark. With me as always is my girlfriend, Carol. How are you doing, Carol? Hey, what's up? Not much. It's been a good week here. It is August 31st, 1996. It is? Almost September. How is that? Soon it'll be Halloween, like before we know it. Halloween. Halloween. However that song goes, you know that song. No. About Halloween. No. Halloween. Nope. Halloween. Sounds like you're speaking... uh, Arabic. Halloween. Halloween. Well, uh, yella. Yella. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Now you sound like an Australian saying yellow. <laughs> ah, it's yellow, mate. <laughs> Anyways. That's not a knife. That's a knife. That's a spoon. I <laughs> see you've played knifey spoony before. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so good things happening here with us, huh? Yeah. Yeah, because we moved in together. Domestic bliss. Yeah, like I said yesterday, though, he sings all the time. She whipped me into shape, though. And he talks to himself. I now pick up after myself. That's true. And I did a dish. He even put the seat down, so, (laughs) you know. I always put the seat down. I am very conscientious. Now, I might get urine on the floor. <laughs> I can't I believe you're was. trying to say that I shared too much in the last show. <laughs> I'm sorry, urine comes out of my urethra. Ew. It's a big shock to everyone, I'm sure. Ew. It happens. Everybody pees. And on that note... Except for the dehydrated. We, we, we watched a movie this week. <laughs> I have news to talk about. Yeah, apparently about your urethra. (laughs) I'm just trying to steer the ship here. (laughs) You know, uh, I had to have a catheter one time. Mm -hmm. It's got a, it's a balloon. Yeah. uh, That they need to shove into your urethra, which is your dick. And uh, the balloon needs to be inflated. Well, they didn't inflate it the way I thought they were going to inflate it. Ugh, I can only so gross. I can only assume that required the head nurse. <laughs> wow. 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 Come on. And I, I get him all day every day, people. That's right. It never ends. <laughs> but you know what else never ends? Chris Rock's rule. What is this? It says comics humor is candid, but he never abuses his fans. How is this a revelation? <laughs> What? Comics humor is candid, but he never abuses his fans. Good. You know, like all those comedians out there that are like, fuck you fans. (laughs) Let me get out the whips and chains. Oh, my God. Chris Rock. You're familiar with Chris. Comedian Chris. Stand-up comedian Chris Rock. Yes. Hey, I talk about this. I can't. I'm not going to do this. Wow. When comedian Chris Rock hits the stage, don't be surprised by anything that comes out of his mouth. Fans who caught his new self-produced HBO special, Bring the Pain, know that even the front of a Washington, D.C. audience, or in front of a Washington, D.C. audience, 
Rock wasn't afraid to make jokes about the beloved mayor, Marion Barry, who was voted back into office even after his crack addiction oh, wow. sent him to jail for six months. I would not vote for a dude with a crack addiction. It's Marion Barry. Come on. It's David Silver. That's right. I don't have any hang-ups. There's nothing I won't talk about, says Rock, interviewed by Telephone in Manhattan. <laughs> However, there actually is something he won't do, which is a fa- which is a favorite among today's brassy comics. Brassy comics, okay. Uh, humiliate those in the audience sitting close enough to the stage for the comedian to notice their hairstyle, weight, or any other distinguishing personal trait. Come Interesting. On. So I, I've I've heard I've heard of crowd work. Uh-huh. That's what they call it when they, you know, when they talk to people in the audience and right. everything like that. But I don't see a lot of comedians be like, "Oh, that haircut fucking sucks." Or, I mean, something funnier than that. But right. I don't know. Do you, do you notice that a lot? We've been to some comedy shows and stuff like that. We've we've seen comedy shows. I don't. I mean, I I don't. I don't. Sometimes no. if a, if if there's someone's heckling. Then you might see that, or if somebody interrupts the flow of the show by, like, screaming out, sometimes they might say something, but usually when... There's only a few comedians I've ever noticed who actually actively go do crowd work so they can make jokes about somebody. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think so. I mean, you don't want to alienate your fans. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, good for Chris Rock, I guess. And good for Tiger Wood, or no, Tiger Woods, multiple Woods. Who the hell is that? So he is a golfer. Uh, Why are we talking about him? Well, okay, so he's a hot, young, Cablanation golfer. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> no, he's... Cablanation. He's black, but he's half Thai, half African-American, half Korean... Half Filipino. Wow, that's a lot of people. <laughs> he's enough for two people. <laughs> no, he's he's a mixture of different things, but he's his skin is black, so everyone calls him black. Okay, because that's how the world works. But he's a golfer. Like, yeah. why do we care about golf? Because he's a black golf. There's not okay. There's not a lot of black golfers, and he is a very very promising young golfer. He had his first pro round in Milwaukee. And he shot a 67, which is very good. That's uh, uh, three under par at nice. mo- most golf courses. Good for you, Tiger Woods. It says, Tiger Woods, a walking billboard for Nike, or if you're uh, in Australia, Nikes, <laughs> turned in a workmanlike four under, oh, I guess 71 at this golf course, four under par uh, 67 Thursday for his first round as a professional golfer in the Greater Milwaukee Open. Yay. He had an eagle and three birdies against one bogey and was five strokes behind the leader, Nolan Henke. He's so a lot of people in the sports world, you know, they're they're talking about this dude. He had a very good uh in his qualifying school, he had a very very good uh round, you know. He's a, a hot young golfer and if he can make some noise, I mean he's very young too. Golfers typically they don't get I can't remember how old he is, but I think he's like twenty or twenty one or something like that. But golfers don't typically like get super good until they're in their thirties or forties. Hmm. So uh, when someone's like he's a young like phenom thing, he's like he he started golfing when he was like four or something like that. Like his dad, how how because his dad like started teaching him how to golf and everything. I guess he 
had a knack for it and all that stuff. So. Did he get him tiny clubs? Cause, yes. Yes. You know. yes. Okay. He did. Tiny little four-year-old clubs. <laughs> but speaking of comedians, Norm MacDonald is going to be at Ann Arbor's Main Street on Saturday and Sunday, and I want to see him. Yeah. Norm MacDonald's one of my favorite comedians. Let's go. How can you not love that face? <clears throat> it's quite the face. <laughs> But yeah, Norm McDonald, Norm MacDonald, actually. <laughs> I assume a friend of the show. Because I think everyone's a friend of our show. Everybody loves our tapes. But speaking of love, Carol, did you love this movie that we watched? Um, The it, Flan. It was what? The Fan. About a dessert. A custard. Goodness. Um, Robert, Robert Downey, De Niro. Robert De Niro. I almost said Robert Downey Jr. What the fuck? Robert De Niro plays a custard. <sighs> Robert De Niro plays a psychopath. Yes, he does. A knife salesman who loses his goddamn mind. Yep, that's much it. <laughs> and um, oh, Wesley Snipes. No, that's his name. Haha! <laughs> Look at me. <laughs> Remembering Are shit you, all oh, over the place. Because okay, right, you remembered his name. Yeah, that I, makes me proud. I thought you were proud that you recognized uh, uh, one black actor from the other. Because <laughs> that's the look you had on your face. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Wasn't he also in that one movie with the with the transvestites? Yes, he was. Hey. And guess what? His manager in this movie was John Leguizamo, who was also in that movie. Oh, cool. To Wong Fu, thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. I liked that movie so much. It was a good movie. Like, I've been feeling like I want to watch it again. It's a good movie. Um, anyways, uh, Wesley Snipes. Wesled Snipes. Is a baseball player. Yes. And he has a lucky number, which is 11. Yeah. And he gets traded from one team to another, and he, goes he loses. From, <laughs> I love you trying to talk about baseball. I'm <laughs> trying to talk about the the baseball actions of this movie. Apparently, he won the World Series with the Atlanta Braves the year prior, so you know it's a fantasy world already. And he actually, the Braves are really good though. Uh, and um, he got traded to the San Francisco Giants. Apparently, he's a San Francisco boy. He's from San Francisco. And Robert De Niro is an obsessive fan. Yeah, so it's like he's coming home, basically. Yeah. So it's a very happy... It's like the movie Coming Home. Except he loses his number. Well, he doesn't lose it, but there's a guy that already has his number, played by uh, some dude named Benicio Del Toro. Yeah. Which is, I think, think Benny the Bull... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> something was that really his name benny the bull that's weird no no um, no i mean that's benicio del toro is like a t- oh Italian i thought you were saying that was, for benny the bull i thought you were saying that was the character's name and i was like i don't think so um okay so apparently i did not know this is news to me i did not know that this happens in the world but i told her apparently like athletes buy numbers from each other they will yeah sometimes and if somebody really lo- loves their number or whatever and they get drafted or they get traded to a team or they sign as a free agent like this guy did uh, and they want their number and somebody else has it, they'll be like, well, I'll give you some money. For-. The highest I've ever heard is like 10000 I think somebody paid like ten 
10 or 20,000, something like that for a number. And how much did this asshole want? $500,000. Yeah. So quite he, a bit of money. But he just signed a really big contract, $40 million. Yeah, $40 million bucks. So this would be 180th of that. That's right. I would have paid it. I mean, it was I mean, very important to him. It was yeah. really weighing on him. Yeah. It looked like maybe... There's a lot of backstory we don't get. Yeah. Uh, it looked like maybe his dad wore that number, because there's a picture of him with his dad, and his dad looks like he's wearing number 11. Mm. I don't know if his dad was also a major leaguer. I don't know if it's like a Ken Griffey Jr. type thing, because that it's like kind of seems like they're doing sort of a... What's interesting about this movie to me is this is two movies. Okay. At least... Uh, at the begin first half, yeah, the first half, like the the first uh, first act and most of the second act, I actually probably the first two acts of this of this movie are two different movies. Robert De Niro is in one movie, and Wesley Snipes is in another movie <laughs> because they both have their things going on and they're very separated from each other. Yeah, except for when they're not. Very good. <laughs> Shut up. I was saying. You noticed that, huh? There is. When they were in the scenes together, they were in the scenes together. There's some crossover. There's a little bit of crossover. They talk a little bit. Obviously, uh, things that happen to Wesley Snipes and things he does influence Robert De Niro's character in some ways. Mm-hmm. But they both really have their own things going on. Where Robert De Niro is dealing with the fact that he can't sell these knives anymore, apparently, because he's not a good salesman anymore, or he just never was, or just doesn't give a fuck about these knives anymore, or whatever. Uh, Bulldog from uh, <laughs> from Frasier is his boss and very angry at him. Uh, and then he's got a son who he is estranged from his wife. He's divorced from his wife, and it doesn't seem like they have a great relationship. Yeah, he's she's a, remarried. He's very disappointing to his son uh he kind of fucking abuses verbally and terrifies his son in many scenes yes he doesn't know how to relate to him and he's clearly sort of off his rocker yeah so he's got all this kind of and he's trying to meet with a client who keeps not ducking him necessarily but he just keeps things keep coming up yeah he's blowing him off so you have all these things going on in his life and he also loves baseball and is obsessed with the Giants and obsessed with his own ruined baseball career or whatever. Says he had a cup of coffee in the uh, in the major leagues and all that stuff. And anyway, so he's got his own stuff going on. Wesley Snipes has his own shit going on where he's dealing with he has a son from a previous a relationship or marriage. Yeah, this is the only thing they really have in common, I guess. Um. He is trying to fit in in this new team. His manager keeps telling him to do things that he doesn't necessarily like. He goes and sees a kid dying of cancer that shares the same name as his son. And he's the same age. Asks him to hit a home run for him, which he does. But then he, the kid dies. Before. Or no, the kid slips into a coma. Before that, and then dies. Never knew it, yeah. yeah. And that would have to be hard. Like, I've, n- I've heard about athletes visiting sick kids and stuff like that, and never really, this movie really kind of highlighted how awful it would be. Like, that's a big emotional toll yeah. to put on yourself. 
Well, and he try he was trying so hard to like you know be nice and friendly and whatever. And he mm-hmm. takes off his cap and goes, "Look, we got the same haircut." Because the kid was bald, and he's like, "Are you sick too?" Right. <laughs> like, oh shit. And then Ellen Barkin plays a female sports radio person, and she's all over him too, like trying to like fuck around with him, I guess, or whatever. She's like, you know, how's that divorce going? <laughs> whatever. Yeah. That wasn't very nice. Yeah. So, yeah, he's actively getting a divorce. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, but, yeah, so he's got his own shit going on, too. And then he gets injured, he hurts his ribs, and then he starts going through a slump. And so he's dealing mentally with that as well. Which, you know, thinking about that, like, I didn't I didn't think about that the whole movie, but that's probably why he was in a slump. Like, I, I thought it was the number 11 thing. But playing injured, that's got to... I think it was a lot of it. He he was playing partially injured. He didn't have his number. He wasn't comfortable because he was in a completely new city. He's getting a divorce. He's probably trying super hard because he wants to please the fans. They talked a lot about how he's such a perfectionist and, and, and all that stuff. I think he was putting a ton of pressure on himself. He was thinking about it way too much. Well, yeah. I mean, one of the things that the radio lady was said to him is, do you think you're worth $40 million? Like, how hard and awful would it be to be trying to prove that you are? Yeah. He's like, I don't like million. To, I don't like to put a uh, price tag on a person, he says. <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's weird. Like, like he's, it, he's in one movie. Robert De Niro's in another movie. And they... They briefly bump up to each other until De Niro brings himself into Wesley Snipes' world. Yeah. Yeah, well, because De Niro ends up losing his job. Yeah, as a knife salesman. And and this is because on opening day... Oh, my God, this whole... Yeah. Uh, he takes his child... To the opening day game, and mm-hmm. he has an appointment, the only time this guy could see him, at 2.30, and he leaves his child at the fucking game. In, amongst thousands of people he doesn't know. Right. And he's late, because he was so into the game, and he misses the appointment. Mm-hmm. The guy has actually gone to the game himself. Yeah. Because... He got some uh, season tickets, or some opening day tickets, I mean. Yeah, from the opening day tickets that were supposed to be his. Yeah. From... We find out later. His rival. Um, We never see on screen. And then when he gets back to the stadium, his kid's gone. Gone. Like, somebody fucking took his kid. Yeah, an old lady that was staring at him the entire time. But luckily, you know, she just took him home. Yeah, I don't know how. Did he tell her where he lived? He must have. They didn't really explain it. They're they're just having coffee in the living room. It was really weird. Yeah, the lady who was staring at him the whole time is then sitting in his ex-wife's house drinking Mm -hmm. coffee. That made me wonder if it was like some kind of conspiracy. Was she like hired to watch him? Did she, you know, whatever. But he acts like a lunatic because he has now brought a pizza to the kid and just barges into the house, runs in his room, Locks the door because yep. he's going to have pizza with his son, yep. who's in bed almost like he's sick because he's so upset because his dad left him. Yeah. So she gets a restraining, the wife, the ex-wife, the mother, gets a restraining order against him. And the whole movie, too, he's always, like, doing some shit with his knife. He's given his son, he think he's nine? 
a knife, mm-hmm. like a pocket knife. Like a yep. child should not have a pocket knife. Not not this sharp of a knife. And he's uses it to like cut the pizza and like you know, he's just using his knife for everything. Mm-hmm. He kills a bug with his knife. Yeah. Oh my god, that was that was creepy. He threw his knife at like a cockroach or something yeah. on the wall and is that a hotel room or his apartment? That's uh it looked like it was like a fucking rent by the week yeah. hotel kind of thing. And the wall was so thin the knife just went right through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, I mean, the the crux of this movie is they eventually, like I said, that he brings himself into into Wesley Snipes' world because somehow this dude keeps getting access to. I don't know. I like he somehow finds the number to the locker room and is able to talk to Wesley Snipes at some point. He knows where the the team's staying when they're on away games. And he ends up going to the Benicio del Toro character, the other star on the team, and he stabs him in the leg while he's in the steam room and mm-hmm. kills him. Because of the number, because he wants him to give up his number. Yep. And he's got a tattoo of the number 11 as well, the Benicio del Toro guy. Right. Which we see a close-up of because that comes in later. Which makes a little bit of sense than why he wants to keep it. Right. So, yeah, he kills him, and then Wesley Snipes starts playing awesome. Yeah, that was unfortunate. <laughs> well, and everyone acted like it was his fucking fault, too, because he walks in, and they, they're all wearing the number 11 on their jerseys in honor, like, on the sleeve, in honor of their their killed teammate. And they're like, one of the guys goes, yeah, we all get to wear it now. Like, like it's his fault. Like, this yeah. is what he wanted. Yeah, and and the thing is that uh, De Niro's character believes that that is the reason he's playing better, whether it is or not, um, and expects a thank you, Yeah, even though he doesn't know what he did. He says it in the most Robert De Niro way, too, in the world. He's like, thank you would have been nice. Right. <laughs> Just like, with that Robert De Niro face, you know, like where it was like, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's, that's so De Niro. So, and and his whole life is taken over by basically stalking Wesley Snipes because he has lost his job and he's lost access to his kids. So he really has nothing. Correct. So he finds out where he lives, which is on a beach and is just on the beach when Wesley Snipes' kid starts to drown. Yeah, because the dog swims out there and tries to, like, jump into his arms and, like, knocks him off his boogie board. It's yeah. weird. It was a weird situation. I don't know why you would let a little boy swim in the ocean by himself. That far, too. As soon as he did, I'd like, in the theater, you were like, you were like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, I was having a little bit of anxiety and a little bit of anger. <laughs> so, uh, De Niro goes in and saves the kid's life. Yeah. And then... Wesley Snipes is like, hey, come on and have a beer. Let's talk. You know, like, cause he just saved his kid's life. He's very grateful. Right. And so they start talking and everything. He's like, oh, if there's anything you can ever do, I can ever do for you. And and he gives him clothes. To, so, like, you can you pick some clothes. But she picks the fucking uniform. Yeah. It's uh, very weird. Yeah. The whole, the whole thing's weird. It's, it's a really great scene because it's yeah. the first real interaction that they have together. And you can see as they, it's the blending of these two separate lives, these mm-hmm. two separate movies that are going on. 
And you can see as it goes on and his nature, like his true nature kind of chips through the surface more and more. Wesley Snipes is more and more backing off. Yeah, like like scared. He's like, oh, you know, uh, we're going to, I'm just going to go home now, you know. Well, here's the thing, though, is he pisses him off. Mm -hmm. So then he starts talking in a scary way. Oh, well, yeah, because he says why he's like, uh, you know, hey, you know, now that the dude's dead playing better because you got your number back and whatever and he's like he's like no he's like i just stopped caring that's what it was i was and that's that i think that's that's his character arc yeah they both have different like completely distinct character arcs almost like i said like it's a different movie his character arc is he's learning it would be interesting to see a movie just about wesley without the crazy dude yeah just about wesley snipes like i both movies are interesting that are happening but his character arc is that he presses himself too much, tries to be perfect too much, and he needed to learn to just let everything go and just let it go and, and, and let everything come to him because some people need to do that. And that worked out for him. And he's like, oh, no, come on. Yeah, De Niro wants to believe that it's all his response, you know, his... Because he killed him. Yeah. And... uh then he starts like yelling at him about just you just stop caring like mm-hmm. got so mad, um and that's when he's literally like backing away and like okay uh, I'm gonna go now yeah so he uh, he leaves and De Niro somehow still has access to his house I guess he kidnaps his kid kidnaps Wesley Snipes kid and steals his car and steals his his Hummer. Yeah, and, like, Wesley Snipes was so nice. Even when he was freaking out because this guy was being weird, Mm -hmm. he was still like, you okay? You got a vehicle, like, trying to make sure he's going to get home safe. Uh, Yeah. And, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm good. And then he does that. Right. (sighs) Some psychos, I'm telling you. (laughs) No no politeness. (laughs) No honor anymore amongst psychopath stalkers. So he takes the kid. He tells him they're going to go fishing. It's the middle of the night. Night fishing's the best. (laughs) And he takes him to his old friends. His old catcher, Coop, who he's been talking about this whole movie. Oh, Coop, you know, let's let's talk to Coop. We're going to go see Coop, my old catcher. He was a brilliant uh, catcher. Well, guess what? We find out as he's beating Coop to death with a baseball bat (laughs) because Coop helps Wesley Snipes' uh, son escape. And as he's beating him to death with the baseball bat, he's like, it was Little League. <laughs> because, yeah, they weren't in the fucking minor leagues or they didn't go break into the majors or anything like that. They were 12. Yeah. He is a completely delusional psychopath. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Oh. And then from there, it gets pretty farcical. <laughs> from there, it gets like it. it it's. I, I don't really love the third act of this movie, yeah. I have to tell you, because it gets so outlandish. It's a really tight, nice psychological thriller until then. Then he's he's in the stadium and no one can find him, but he can see everybody and where they're at. At some point, somehow he becomes an umpire. Like <laughs> You see him walking past the umpires like, okay, I guess he killed one of the umpires oh, or, or, yeah. or whatever maybe that we don't see, but it's like... How does no one recognize him? These umpire crews all work together and stuff. Right. There's a first base umpire, third base umpire. Like, 
and, and behind the plate and all that stuff. They all work together all the time. They look at each other for signals and, and stuff like that. They didn't notice that he was a completely different person. I mean, it's like, it's fucking weird. It is weird. Um, and it doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense. But all of a sudden and- he becomes like Jason Voorhees. That's my point. But, I mean, even like even before they get there, it seems like the police should be doing more. I mean, they're at they're at his house. Mm-hmm. They get the call. Like they're they're playing into his demands, and right. I don't think they would I don't think it would work this way. And there's like they can't look anywhere. They they don't go to we never see him anyway go to to his ex-wife's house where uh-huh. his where his kid is. Like, I don't know, the whole thing's weird. So he tells him that he wants him to hit a home run for him. Yeah. Because oh, at one point when he asks, like, what do you want? He's like, I want that when they think of you, they think of me. Yeah. That's a pretty chilling statement. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it's probably going to happen. Yeah. Now. Yeah, he, he got what he wanted. Um, So that's what he wants. He's like, you know, and you tell him it's for your friend Gil and blah, blah, blah. So he's trying to hit a home run. Because they haven't found him yet, and yeah. he's afraid he's going to kill his kid. Right. Can't even imagine trying to play a game. Right. Let alone trying to hit a home run. Then it's raining, and the game gets delayed. Everything's going against yeah. him. Then they're going to walk him. I mean, it was like right. all ridiculousness. Finally, he does get an inside-the-park home run, but then Robert De Niro calls him out. Because somehow he's the fucking home plate art. Is this the naked gun? Like, I don't fucking understand how this happened. But, and like I said, it's, it just, it gets really farcical. Yeah. And then he's like, he's fucking knifing players all over the place on the field. <laughs> yeah. The police are po- pointing their guns at him, but they don't shoot him for the longest time. Eventually they do shoot and kill him. But it's like... He, they would have fucking Wesley Snipes like no no don't don't shoot. They would have fucking blown his head well, off. Well, you understand why though? Because he knows where the kid is. Yeah, they want to get the kid back. But they would have shot him. Uh, and then he, then they do shoot and kill him. And uh, they do find the son. It's he's at the old little league stadium, which was called the Sky or something. That ballpark in the Sky or something. Like yeah, that. yeah, weird. So, because that's what he says. He's like, oh, you must be in the ballpark in the sky. Like, acting like he's dead. Right. And, yeah, so that that's kind of how the movie ends. Now, I liked a lot of this movie. Uh-huh. Um, Tony Scott directed this, Ridley Scott's brother. And he's directed some other uh, good movies as well. Uh, I like a lot of this, the directing choices. I like a lot of the cinematography choices in this. There's, uh, especially when, when he's with Coop and... And oh, and when they're on the beach too, the I like the lighting and the cinematography choices. Um, there's like this blue tint behind him. Everything's kind of washed, like the colors are sort of washed out, but everything's blown up behind mm-hmm. him. It looks almost otherworldly, like he is surrounded by fucking chaos. And the camera work is all very kind of like. It's Dutch angles and it's off kilter and, mm-hmm. and everything when he's having those psycho moments and stuff like that. And I like a lot of those those choices. Um, like I said, I liked a lot about the movie. I think uh, the first and second act are really strong. Oh, yeah. But I think it really kind of falls apart a little in the third act to me. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I see what you're saying. Now, for somebody who doesn't know that much about baseball, like it didn't seem as unbelievable, the umpire right. thing. But, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think that uh, they played along too much. Yeah, and, and it, it just, it gets, a, like I said, he turns into like a fucking, like a almost supernatural killer Yeah, at the end of the movie. And that's the part that I was like, eh, I don't know. But for the most part, Especially first and second act. I think it's a really good, really tight thriller. Yeah. I, I would I would recommend it still. I would I, I would still recommend it too. I think it's worth going to see in the theater. There's not a lot better that's out right now in, <laughs> no. my, in my opinion. But. For sure not. Uh but yeah, that is the episode for the week, Carol. So Go to our website at www.retrolatefee.com. Stalk us there. <laughs> right not us. in real life, though. Yeah, No, please do not be Robert yeah, De Niro. Yeah, that's not, that's not on, obviously. <laughs> um, you can write us at latefee1994 at aol.com mm-hmm. and uh, share our tapes with your friends. Absolutely. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.